0: For November 6th, 2023, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 801. Everybody hates Chris. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we are hanging out in large numbers, just in, in force. <laughs> we come out in force to celebrate, to navel gaze a little bit, to celebrate our success, to mark our milestones. And for this, the 801st episode, the eight hundred first episode we thought well let's get the band back together back together you know so we got 30 people on this podcast tonight everyone's here everyone gets two minutes of airtime. time in in no <laughs> pete, it's you and me it's a story two-hander i'm matt rather that's pete fenzel pete what have you been watching on television Oh, man. You want to just jump right into it? I, talk- oh, no. We can. Sorry. We can. We can. I thought I w- I had gaslit the audience enough. And that was uh- <laughs> 801. We are changing tack. We
1: are going to talk about what we're going to talk about. And then we are going to talk about it, which is apropos <laughs> for what we're discussing today, which is an interesting stand up set, an interesting stand up special on Netflix, a stand up special that aired in March Uh, A stand up special that I believe was first broadcast live such that there was a mistake in one of the closing lines that was edited out in the version that we just watched.
0: Yeah, I Um, watched the So I watched the live version and then I watched it again this time to prep for this. And I was like, oh, that yeah, that went smoother. They they changed that. You know, they changed that whole thing. Good editing. Oh, so you've Uh, seen it twice now. I yeah, I, well, I know when it came out, so we should say what we're talking yeah. about. We're talking about Chris rock special selective outrage, which he got, uh, which he released about a year after, uh, Will Smith slapped him on the, uh, on the Oscars telecast. And so this, the, everyone was like waiting, like, you know, when is he going to just Chris rock the poop out of this, uh, uh, out of this thing. And he does, it's a, it's a, uh, it is an extremely Chris Rocky, Chris rock special, um, And uh, so what I watched was I I fast forwarded to the – last 10 minutes. Cause that right. was the part that, that I, you know, that was the, the hot drama. And like, I, I felt like I didn't need a, an hour of Chris Rock special. I felt like w- w- uh, without knowing what it contained, I, I knew more or less what it contained, <laughs> you know, which is uh, a, a, cult, a pop culture observational comedy from a uh, surprisingly almost kind of center right point of view. And that, uh, you know, and, and I was not disappointed when I watched it. <laughs> (laughs) Uh, when I actually, when I watched the whole thing, but I wanted to see how he, uh, how he addressed the, the Will Smith stuff. And I, I, you know, I mean, I have thoughts about that and about the, the whole special. How did you, I mean, at this late date, see, so I watched it when it was in, in the zeitgeist. So how at this late date, did you come to like have this as something in your Netflix queue? Did you just, did you like queue it up in March and just not get to it in your list? No,
1: no, it showed up in my reels. Oh, God. So, yeah. So I get a lot of reels. I mean, I don't use TikTok, but I do use Instagram reels and I probably shouldn't. But I get a lot in my reels that are clips from things that I might watch. That's something that Instagram has wisely figured out. Uh, I will engage with. I get I, I've watched the entirety of Django Unchained in 15 second clips. We can have the entirety of Inglorious Bastards before that, the entirety of old, No Country for Old Men before that. Yeah. So they, they know where they- to get me.
0: You they they've they, they realized that uh, I want to watch all of Crazy Rich Agents this week. That was the <laughs> that was yeah. the one the mahjong scene, and then I want like thirty explainers. I want like thirty like mahjong explainers. <laughs> you know, I like I like nothing. There's there's nothing. I mean, I feel Pete like in middle age. I'm getting to like uh, and in fifteen years we're in like middle age pod. where we're you know middle podcasts, right? Like I uh, uh and and in the in the forest in the middle of my life, I found myself in a dark forest. And Pete, that dark. Forest was like explain explaination videos on YouTube. <laughs> you know that dark forest had signs tacked to the trees that said Wendover Industries, all uh, all over them. But sorry, okay, so so well, you no, saw. No, this I want to take a well, brief
1: tangent. I want to do one brief tangent after after what you just said, right? Yes, uh, which is because you mentioned mahjong, and I just want to say there is something I've been watching that involves mahjong that I do briefly want to touch on. Is
0: it Crazy Rich Asians, Pete?
1: Because that's <laughs> it's what I watch. I watched that. In the theater. Uh, The analogy is that I watched Crazy Rich Asians the way that you watched the last 10 minutes of the Chris Rock special, (laughs) which is that I watched it in the theater when it was new. Uh, So I watch a series on YouTube called Beating Every N64 Game by uh-huh. an ostensible Mario streamer named The Beast 721 And uh, he is in the 140s now out of 394 in terms of broadcasting this. I hear he is far, far ahead in terms of actually beating the games. He beats them on stream and then he makes uh, edited YouTube videos. He doesn't edit them himself, but he makes extensive YouTube videos about the experience of beating the games, which vary in length and complexity based on the length and complexity of the games. But one of the kind of funny... I don't want to call it postmodern, but I guess avant-garde might be a word for it. Avant-garde aspects of this series is the sheer vast quantity of Mahjong that he's had to play Uh (laughs) because there's like nine different Mahjong games on the N64. And if you've ever if you've ever played like a a video game, that's a version of a card game, like a video game based on poker or a video game, even something based on chess or, or cribbage. Uh, the way that you kind of progress in the game and beat it tends to be to play the game a whole heck of a lot. Uh, and so he has to sort of like play a ton of Mahjong. And so he's, I think he's from West Virginia and he doesn't really know, he didn't know Mahjong before this started. And so following the journey of him learning to beat Mahjong by playing against the AI in N64 games, which like very clearly is cheating or doesn't know what's going on a lot of the time, mm-hmm. uh, has, has been a treat. Uh, it's been a treat. So I just wanted to throw that in there as my most recent Mahjong experience. Um, but yes, I wanted to talk about this because I had a different response to it. I went back and I watched it. It's only an hour long, right? So I went back and I watched it because I wanted to see the whole section of the Will Smith thing, uh, you know, because I only saw like a 20 second clip of it. And I suspect I'm not the only person out there right now who is getting clips of this Chris Rock special because Netflix is probably going back to the well and throwing it out there to promote it to people. Uh, and so I figured it might be somewhat relevant and, and I did have a slightly, different sort of reaction to it than you did, I think. Um, But maybe maybe I should just go into it and go into like what how I reacted to this thing, like what my take on this thing is. Uh, May may I launch? uh, May may I launch into some Chris Rock discussion for a moment here, Mr. Matthew? Yeah, let's
0: let's let's do it. Can I can I launch into some Chris Rock discussion here?
1: So. Uh, The first thing to note about Chris Rock, and I think throughout this whole podcast, we should both feel free to contribute uh, uh, discussions of Chris Rock as an artist, his style, the things he does in his act, because he's been around for a long enough time. Have you watched a bunch of Chris Rock specials,
0: Matt? I mean, I watched. um, Oh, what was the, the second one? Was it called Uh, bigger and blacker, bigger and blacker? Yeah. Bring
1: the pain. I'm sure he had something that was earlier, but it was bring the pain, bigger and blacker. Those are the two big ones. Um, I even watched tambourine, uh, which is the most recent one that I think came out before this one on Netflix, but the meta story here. Okay. The first thing to know about Chris rock is you have to be able to contrast him to Dave Chappelle. The two of them get compared all the time. They're both black men of a certain age and a certain attitude. Uh, They're not very similar stand-up comics, even though they come off as similar stand-up comics sometimes. And the main way, at least in my estimation or suggestion in which Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock are very different, is that Dave Chappelle is very capable of going off the top and kind of coming up with new material on the spot or trying new material at an open mic and like being ready to to put it out the next day. Uh, Dave Chappelle, I think, is widely lauded as a genius Uh, Right. As somebody who is uh, and, you know, if you want to discuss the meaning of the word genius, you go right ahead. Uh, But he's somebody that's thought of as sort of so good at coming up with stand up content that when, you know, oh, I'm recording four Netflix specials. Right. And I'm just going to rant about something that's bothering me. That's something Dave Chappelle can do because he's that kind of performer. And so his old man, I'm upset about the world now, Netflix special is mostly just him kind of Andy Rooney it. Right, because he's upset about the world right now, and he can kind of go off the cuff and do things. Chris Rock is a perfectionist. He practices and practices and practices. I mean, I've heard him talk about this. He just—he is not capable of going off the cuff with stand-up. He needs yeah. the preparation, right? Hundred percent. And
0: and also, like he does, sort of famously, when you see Chris Rock in a club working out for his specials, he doesn't do any Chris Rock. He, he like stands in a hoodie pulled up like the, the strings pulled tight around his face and like mumbles into a microphone to see if the oh, wow. jokes work without – Uh, him doing all of the kind of the like really big presentation that he does in the, in the large venue. And so like, there's like, the internet is full of stories of people who have seen Chris Rock live in a small venue and be like, who, you know, who is this person? Like, it's, it's like, a you know, I don't know. It's like a completely different, a a completely different human being. Um, because he's really, he's like trying to hone the, the material, The material itself, which is so funny, because there are so—I mean, all the punchlines are big. I feel like he—he doesn't miss, but there are fewer swings. You know what I mean? Mm. Like compared with Dave Chappelle, I feel like Dave—Dave Chappelle. It's like da 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 -da, laugh, da 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 laugh, da 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 laugh, da 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 laugh, da 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 -da -da, big laugh. And Chris—Chris Rock is like "Da da 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 da. Da, da, da. <laughs> and then it brings the house down. Right. Yeah. Like, but it only happens that happens every three minutes as opposed to happening every 20 seconds or so. And that's the you know, it was really interesting. It was a really interesting. Rhythmic rhythmic thing here. Also, the, the proportion of of laps r- laughs versus clapping. But I'm hijacking your I'm hijacking. No, this the, is really fascinating you, because
1: another make. I'll skip to another, the, one of the third thing I was going to talk about, which is in this special, he is performing a character doing his act. And that's really interesting to hear that he does a stripped down version of his act without his persona. He has a lot of self-consciousness. He, of course, had that autobiographical TV show. Everybody hates Chris. Right. Right. So so he has this sort of constructed stage identity that he performs. And now I have never seen him say, that's not really me. That's a character I play. But there is a sense in which he kind of turns it on and off. And this, and it is, and it does have a performative characteristic to it. It has a variety of performative characteristics to it. I think one of the things that's interesting about it is how much Chris Rock's stand up persona performs blackness and kind Mm -hmm. of engages with, I mean, bigger and blacker is one of his big specials. Like he's very, very much about uh, sort of, now I don't want to say indulging because that's not what he's doing, but um, really, really refining and reflecting aspects of his identity or his his sense of himself that he feels like are difficult for other people to deal with right like that are pose a challenge to other people right um and and, and so the so so that this this feels like one of the most exaggerated chris rock performances Mm -hmm. Like like he is he is like a little hunched over and he's talking kind of like this. Um, He's almost you said you you were almost uh, doing a Gilbert Gottfried impression when we were talking earlier. Uh, He's almost he's not quite he's not doing Gilbert Gottfried, but it's a similar energy where he is so much performing a Chris Rock persona in this hour long set that it feels like a Baroque to me performance of the identity. So so he's honed this material about this really awful thing that happened right? Uh, and this very high-profile thing that happened. He's honed the material for a year. He's come out with an hour-long special about it, which is a pretty sort of solid but relatively short period of time, but also long enough that it has to have multiple beats and kind of multiple things that it moves through, but not so long that you get the chance to kind of tell all the background and really dwell on it, right? It's not a doc- documentary. Um, and then he's performing it in his sort of Chris Rockiest Chris Rock that he's doing. Now, I would also like to bring up Uh, the greatest uh, unsurpassed unsurpassable work in the history of the English language, of course, which you talk about, which is Paradise Lost. I think you say in any language. In any language, uh, ever. Okay, in any language, ever. I like to bring up Paradise Lost here because I think there's a dimension of Paradise Lost that's also been happening uh, in terms of the broader influence of how I see things in culture because of the influence of both that poem and also everything that's come after it. Which is there's this notion. But what of, you
0: mean? You mean human history? Yeah. Like, but, but the fall of man Western in the Garden culture, of Bleeder. Modern Western and then, culture. Yeah. And yeah. then everything that's happened since then in the 3000 years uh, that mankind has existed.
1: I, I the, would also if you if you're not comfortable with Paradise Lost as your reference point, I might refer to the original Little Mermaid. Where uh, if you if you break if you fail your side of the deal with Ursula the Sea Witch, you get kind of shriveled down into that little like anemone thing that clings to the side of her her uh, her her like hut, her little like hovel or her cave yes. under the sea. And, and this idea that that the devil, right? the sort of the devil is starts out as this beautiful angel of a creature. Uh, and who falls, right, but when he has fallen, he is still sort of like beautiful and mighty and powerful in the in this particular sort of uh sort of storytelling and it is through his sort of desire for vengeance, his sort of vanity and his sort of irritation and and frustration and fury at being cast out at having lost his war at kind of having been proven wrong, and especially at at seeing humanity kind of elevated in the way that they are in this in these uh In these in these tales, these poems and these scriptures and stuff that there's the story of him sort of like he becomes smaller as his mind becomes smaller. Right. Mm. Like as his virtue becomes smaller, he physically becomes smaller. And so the angel, by virtue of how it thinks and how it feels and responds to the world and the way in which it sort of fights against the in the sense of Milton, fights against the kind of glory of the world. Uh, and his place in it, rightfully, becomes the snake, right? He sort of ends up crawling on the ground. It, it sort of it sort of uh, inflicts upon him this diminishment, uh, which only intensifies how he feels. Uh, it, it is it is through his diminishment. Uh, he becomes more like what made him diminished. Mm. And and it's angrier and it's more vindictive. Right. And the culmination of this is the prophecy that uh, he will bite the heel and the heel will crush him. Which is supposed to basically be about how Satan will, you know, Jesus will die but rise from the dead, and that, you know, Satan will have his day but will ultimately be vanquished, right? Like this sort of thing, and then, and then, not really necessarily talking about just the prophetic angle of this, but more the the trope, the idea of this sort of luminous figure who, by virtue of what he thinks and feels, uh, becomes more of the most intense negative things that he is is indulging in like over time.
0: Yeah. Oh, no. I I mean, the way I would describe it, Pete, is that horror and doubt distract his troubled thoughts and from (laughs) the bottom stir the hell within him for within him hell he brings and round about him nor from hell one step more than from himself can fly by change of place. You know, that's that's how Mm -hmm. I put it. Just myself. Just describing Chris Rock, because it makes perfect sense (laughs) talking about Chris Rock this way. Uh, (laughs) Well,
1: because where we're at with Chris Rock, if you've been following his stuff, is like for a lot of years, a lot of Chris Rock's routine was around his relationship with women. Um, And it, it is it is beyond. Pointless to refer to it as problematic. um, And in particular, and again, and I wouldn't necessarily say because I don't I don't know the scope of his particular transgressions. I would say the transgressions he talks about are more along the lines of like uh, being pretty cynical about the way that he's treated by women that he's interested in being pretty mercenary and a little bit dehumanizing more than a little dehumanizing about the women that he is interested in and then getting married and then constantly making jokes at the expense of his wife up until the point that she finally divorces him probably for cheating on her many times right <laughs> like like that's the sort of vibe right is like cuz he has a running joke that what it's that uh that, like, he, he, uh, there's a whole wing of Howard named after him or so. Or did Chappelle make that joke? <laughs> it's tough because they touch on so many at the same time. No, no, no,
0: he, he says, he things. says in this, in yeah. this, one of the punchlines, one of the like the quips, the one linery quips is, uh, I've paid off more college loans than Joe Biden.
1: Yes, exactly, right. exactly. And so I think, so the last one, his last stand up special that I saw, at least, and again, I don't know if people sneak these out and I don't see them, was Tambourine. And similarly, The meaning of the special, there's a ghost ship moment in the special where you realize what the name tambourine is for. And what it is, is it's a cautionary. It's a warning. It's a warning that you in a relationship need to be comfortable being the supportive partner for when the other person wants to actualize themselves and follow their dreams and live their life rather than always demand that they are that for you. You need to learn how to play tambourine, right? Because if you don't, then you will lose your marriage and that and and this is not the standpoint of like advice that he's giving you because he learned it the the easy way he's telling it to you after he lost his marriage now whether that's why he lost his marriage or not uh you know the, the other part of this is that it's very unreal like this is not I'm not saying this is none of this should be interpreted as being exactly what happened to Chris Rock because he's performing a, a performer at the same time that he's also telling us autobiography. But we are seeing Chris Rock now years removed from his divorce and he lacks that sort of that I would describe it as a, sort of the sound of the whistling wind, uh, you know, which is this sort of sense of like something terrible has happened and it is sort of registered somewhere in my mind and heart and soul. But it like hasn't taken me down yet. And then sort of the silence, I can kind of hear the rushing of my blood. Right. Like like I got that vibe a little bit from parts of Tambourine where he knew that something had terribly wrong had happened to him. Uh, that was almost certainly his fault. I would even venture to say that was his fault and that he did. Uh, and, uh, and then, and so he's making jokes about it. Cause he's trying to process it. And also because that's his profession, that's what he does. And here he's years later and years later, he has diminished. He is, he is cruder. He is angrier. He is like more manipulative, right? Like he is, he is, uh, the, the there's a whole section of this where he talks about his daughter that is so interesting. Um, mm-hmm. and again, you have to be willing to watch this without, I think – I would suggest if your attitude going into a piece like this is to gauge the moral uprightness of what the person is doing, then this is not the stand-up special for you, right? Because (laughs) it is presented to you by a person who knows that they're screwing up uh, and and who has some pretty fundamental – disputes with reality right like uh, that that are articulated in interesting structural and direct ways through this special which is why i wanted to talk about right like this is a this is someone who has a beef with god right like uh and not in the such simple terms well um,
0: i you know i can think of someone else who had a beef with god he was, <laughs> he was known I, if he was i known only pe- could
1: i'd have a beef with god <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling him to swap our places. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, you know, they're, they're, I mean, someone had such a beef with God that he said it would be better to reign in hell yeah. than than serve in heaven. Bring the pain you know? in hell
1: than serve in heaven. It's
0: better, better. Yeah. non non-serviam. Except right. if you, you're serving up laughs. Serving yeah. <laughs> yeah. serviam realness.
1: So okay, so that is what I wanted to start with as preamble for the fact that this thing is called selective outrage. Which, because of the moment, and of course, all of the other freaking Stamp specials that have come out, can be interpreted in a very specific way, which is like, He's going to complain about the fact that he can't do a stand-up act anymore because he tells sexist and racist jokes that are also that mean to trans people and other sorts of LGBT people and pretty much everybody. And he's sad and he's pissed off that he can't take his million-dollar comedy tour to Barnard anymore because they won't laugh at his jokes about how women shouldn't have jobs, right? Like that's like, that's like how, I, uh, how I would interpret in very broad terms the like movement of this sort of stand-up set. But I didn't find this set to really be doing that. Um, it's engaging with that moment for sure and piggybacking off of it, but the amount of self loathing <laughs> in this piece. Uh, And so there's a couple of factors, right? There's there's the amount of self-loathing. There's the scheme of it, which is we are given an outline at the beginning of the set, which follows through to the entire rest of the set, not strictly in order, but more or less in order that you could even make a Venn diagram out of and locate the various major people that are discussed in the uh, in the set, both in terms of where they originate and where they end uh, in the movement of his schema. Right. And then it all culminates in the uh, the the what would be what is the word for this type of is there a word for this type of poem? Um, for a poem, because I know what an ode is, and I know what an obad is. I know the names for different sorts of poems of praise, right? Where you'd be like, oh, "This is a poem about how this thing is awesome." This is a poem about how this person uh, is dead now, and I liked them when they were alive, right? An you know, an elegy or whatever. An this elegy, is a poem. Yeah. This is a poem where you would be talking to a royalty and trying to impress upon them uh, some sort of grand or beautiful thing. I, that would be like an obad kind of thing, right, with the envoy and 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 that kind of thing.
0: Um, I think an Obad is a it's a morning song after after sexual congress.
1: Oh, that's the vibe. Yes. That's why it says prince, not because they're actually talking to royalty, but because they're talking to like, you know, the king is like, (laughs) all right, that's kind of silly. But but is there a word for like a literary convention where you are going to just lay down as intense of an insult as you can, uh, as crafted as elaborately as you can? at somebody who has wronged you Um, because that's what this is. It's not even a diss track. It's like one big poetical constructed diss insult right in the face of Will Smith. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and in doing it, he is projecting all over the place. It's like the sphere in Vegas, baby. The project, you don't even know. It's 360, it's more than 360 degrees because it's three dimensions, man. It's projecting both the inside and the outside and all over the place is Chris Rock projecting everything that he hates about himself that is in this set onto Will Smith and projecting everything that he hates about Will Smith like onto everything else that he's talking about. Um, and, And so the sense of kind of selective outrage has multiple different meanings that mostly aren't about I'm not even going to say wokeness more than once uh, that, that mostly aren't really about Internet discourse, about being mad about things. Right. Um, I, I would say that the most notable kind of cliche Internet discoursey thing, and maybe you remember it better than I better than I do, is the part about Lululemon,
0: which I thought was so interesting, which is mm-hmm. early on um well he's talking about he's talking about like esg type yes. of marketing campaigns yes yes you know and that's that's like um i and i mean there's some good there's some good stuff in there you think this is going to be i i do get yeah i i agree with you i like i watched the first five to ten minutes and i thought like oh god it, we're yeah. settling in for one of these we're yeah. settling in for a for a like a ricky gervais you know <laughs> or a you know, whatever we're settling in for a Jimmy Carr, like the most dangerous jokes. They won't let me say, you <laughs> Jimmy know?
1: Carr car doesn't care. He just tells them anyway. <laughs> he apologizes later or doesn't it's the, just like with his taxes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just
0: <But> like, just <laughs> like with his taxes. <laughs> um, Oopsie. But the, uh, the, the, uh, <laughs> yes. The, the Stuart Lee bit, bit on this is that, you know, when Jimmy Carr says a joke that's in bad taste, he goes like this. And then he makes kind of like a who me kind of shrug. Like he goes <laughs> like this. Mm, and that's the the same as having thought about it. <laughs> That's the, is the, is the Stuart Lee diss on, on that. So I thought like, yeah, okay, we're getting for, for one of these like middle age, like, I don't even know what you are if you're in your fifties. Are you like the kind of the beginning of generation X? Like what, you know, whatever you uh, whatever you are like, I, I, uh, I'm, we're okay. We're getting, we're getting in for, for one of these. And it put, it put me in mind of another, I, I, I really, last time we talked about stand up comedy, I think we like, we did a, a double feature of Joe Rogan and Stuart Lee, which was b- brilliant of us. If, you know, if I, uh, do say so myself and, um, I you know Stuart Lee's most recent uh, Stuart Lee the British stand up comedian most recent um, released TV you know hour uh, it was actually two it was a, a two acts of a show that he did together but were released separately as um, as hours uh, the 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 um, because you know uh, and and uh, they broadcast one they were going to broadcast the second one next week but then the queen died and um the uh the BBC stopped did wouldn't broadcast the Stuart Lee thing because it was wall to wall queen uh queen programming and i i i take issue with that because you know uh which would you rather watch the 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 wrinkled veneration the 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 veneration of a wrinkled old corpse or the queen's funeral. Um I you know I would have rather watched the Stuart <laughs> lee Sorry that's uh, I lifted that straight from him. But um he does a, a, an hour called Snowflake that is about sort of political co- correctness and kind of woke woke mob comedy uh uh, type type of thing, and his the, the joke that he he does in this is, um, you know they're, they're, oh, they're all going on, they're all going on about saying the unsayable. We're saying the unsayable, but they aren't, are they? They are saying <laughs> by definition. The sayable mm-hmm. and then, you know and then he goes on uh to do a 10-minute centerpiece of uh what it would be like to say the unsayable and it goes like this I see this yeah <laughs> and like you it's like one of those things where he Takes it past the point of toleration and yeah. then past that into a, you know, into a kind of sublimity. And it's it's broken up by uh it's broken up by every like three minutes. So like four or five times, you know, he goes uh, to his lectern and he has a little half pint of lager there underneath the lectern like Ricky Gervais does. <laughs> and he gets it out, takes a sip of it, puts it back under the lectern and goes <sighs> anyway so that's you know i was thinking like okay this is this is what we're in for and i think too is credit it's kind of not it's kind of not that but the the idea is like so the the conceit becomes like oh you know I, I don't know we're all you know we're all hypocrites people are 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 uh scared of what they might say we all practice selective outrage and um his, uh, you know, Chris Rock's thing is like, you know, you're you're uh, composing a woke tweet on a phone made by child slaves, which is, you know, okay, good. I, I mean, point Chris Rock on on that one. It's a good, uh, you know, it's a good joke. You'll play, uh, you'll play, uh, you, you won't play R. Kelly songs, but you will play Michael Jackson songs. It's like, <laughs> I, all right. Like, you know, this is not right. You know, this is not Joe Rogan crap. You yeah, know, yeah, like this yeah. is the this is uh, this is a little better. And then he goes after like ESG marketing campaigns, you know, like right. like Lululemon talking about how their you know, how their pants are like anti-racist. They're anti-racist pants. And his and the, the Chris Rock joke is I don't care. I, I, are they anti-ball sweat? I think is the is the joke. Their yoga pants are they anti-butt sweat like like uh, I'll wear your racist pants. If they cost $20. Well, yeah, right? that's, that's the thing,
1: because that's the great line, right? Sorry, go ahead, finish it up. Yeah.
0: And that's the, you know, that's the uh th- sort of where it goes. And I, you know, okay. I mean, I think it's kind of a soft target. I I don't think like I think there was a better way to Chris Rock what he wants to Chris Rock. Um uh, but like I I get it, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't it wasn't that bad. And it certainly was not as bad as I I was kind of girding myself. Uh, for it being when I thought, oh God, this is going to be another like saying the unsayable, uh, saying the unsayable kind of thing. But that's before he gets into, um, that's before he gets into like, uh, talking about his family, talk the story about his daughter, that's the before he gets uh into like being single and like having girlfriends and sleeping with them and having to like buy them a lot of things. You know, like that's that's before all of that stuff. The kind of the middle the the middle act, act 2 of the right <laughs> of the the special which I think is where a lot of the I don't know, a lot of the most interesting, a lot of the most the a lot of the emotional heart is, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, I think so with the Lululemon piece, I felt like the part of it that mattered was that one line where he said, if you're selling a hundred dollar, it says, Oh, there's no hate in Lululemon, right? There's no hate in in our in our we don't we stand against hate, right? And then he said, Well, if you're selling hundred dollar yoga pants, you hate somebody. Right? <laughs> and and it's and he follows up with saying, You hate the poor, uh, which is you can hear exactly how Chris Rock would would intone that. But even just that line if you sell yoga pants for hundred dollars, you hate somebody. And that this is, this is a set where I felt like after the very, very last line of the set, I went back and thought about the whole set again. Mm-hmm. And it made me rethink about like everything that he had said previously. Hmm. But before I mentioned the last line, we could go through the actual middle part where he has his scheme, right? Which is like the, the gist is okay. He goes from this sort of cliche thing about, you know, Oh man, people are tweeting on iPhones. Uh, to say that everybody now is addicted to attention, which I think is actually, you know, okay, that's that's true. Uh, you know, everybody's addicted to attention. Uh, keep in mind, COVID has happened since the last time I saw Chris Rock set. So like a lot has happened. People have been deprived of attention for a long time. And he categorizes the people's uh, people's strategy for seeking attention into four categories. Notably absent is any sort of healthy attachment that anybody might have to another person. Right. Like there's not like, oh, man, you know what? You know who really seeks attention? Babies. right? Like, you know who really seeks attention? Your friends when they want to give you a hug. Right. Like your friends seek your attention. No, there's no friends in this episode. In this this is all about uh, maladaptive ways that people are, quote unquote, seeking attention. And if you remember that it's called sort of selective outrage. I think that this calls to mind or calls to into question, what is the nature of the attention that people end up receiving as a result of going out and seeking it? And what is the dynamic between the people who are seeking the attention and the people who are giving the attention? Uh, Because Chris Rock also positions himself on various sides of this line. Like he starts out by saying like everybody out there wants attention, is addicted to attention. And you're thinking like, well, Chris Rock, you're a stand-up comic. You're more addicted to attention than anyone. And he Mm -hmm. doesn't say that, but if you go through the scheme, right? Can I say the A word on this podcast, or should I bleep it? Uh, <laughs> um, the first-
0: I'll, I'll bleep oh, it. I mean, I okay. guess, like if no, no. If you- so the
1: first, the first, the first element in the scheme is to show your A, right? Uh, and because uh, we want to, oh, your
0: show. donkey, show yes, your donkey. Show your donkey.
1: That's the first way that you can seek attention. And the and the four ways of seeking attention are in order of increasing difficulty right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, the first way that you can do it is to show your A. And so I think we can say it. Yeah,
0: you can say hey, show, show your, your ass. ass, on, show your on ass. The-
1: and of course, show your ass is a phrase that has multiple meanings because uh, this is Chris Rock. You know, he's 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 got layers to it, though. The, the a sensible meaning here is to uh, post naked pictures or, or thirst traps of yourself online or to, like, go and try to have sex with a lot of people and be kind of very, uh, uh, you know, forward. And the way that you might interpret this if this is a Joe Rogan-esque complaining about woke people rant, is he's going to complain about women who uh, manipulate men through their sort of sexual wiles, right, uh, and also through, like, the Internet and how they sort of, you know, oh, they need fathers, all this other stuff. The, the sort of, like, the Chris Rock has done this before with his whole, like, you know, your job as a father is to keep them off the pole, right, right? Um, and, and, and that enduring sort of stuff. But he actually really is going after himself, too, when he describes this stuff. Like he describes a life where he tries to have casual sex with, like, fans on the road. And it seems so miserable, right? And, like, the way he's describing it is mostly about how miserable he is. And, and I'm thinking, OK, so you've articulated that one of the ways that sh- to, to get attention is to show your ass. Like, you're kind of the person showing your ass here. Because mm-hmm. you're the one who's going out there sleeping with groupies, right? Like like um you're the one who wants the attention, not them. This, this she is she doesn't want show, attention. She wants you to fix her roof,
0: right? Show, like show the ass long enough and the ass begins to show you.
1: Exactly, exactly. So like so Chris Rock is describing a standard sort of trope where the woman is the person who's doing the thing that seeks attention, and then the man is the one who ends up doing the thing that isn't about seeking attention. But in this case, Chris Rock is kind of doing the thing that's seeking attention at the beginning, and then the woman is doing the thing where she, like, wants a pair of shoes or she wants car repair, and Chris Rock has to provide it, and then Chris Rock questions the nature of the relationship that he's in, right, because he's, it's no longer a transaction about attention, right? Like, it's no longer, it's no longer that. Um, and I wonder how much of this is a sort of uh, either whether it's intentional or accidental, right? Like uh, and then he goes from there into this like praising of female beauty, which is uncomfortable uh, <laughs> and uh, and and feels uh, what, I guess not quite Yeatsian, not not quite Dave Simsian, uh, which please don't read Dave Sims if you haven't. Um, but uh, if you blunder into the indie comic scene before, there were a lot of indie comics you might have and gotten to his later works. Uh, one of the more disturbing times that I've spent reading has been with that stuff. But uh, i talking about service, the artwork, if I get the name wrong, mm. um, which is great up until the fifth book and then goes down the toilet in ways that are very familiar to people nowadays, but seem strange at the time, full Q and on stuff. Um, but the point being that like, uh, he then talks about what well, was. The thing is Beyonce is so fine. That were she to work at McDonald's, Jay-Z would still marry her. But if Jay-Z were to work at McDonald's, then, you know, he doesn't even have to finish the joke, right? Um, And in there is this self-loathing, is the absence of the idea in any of this of a healthy attachment with another person. Right. Like the idea that you might get attention by right. because you care for somebody. Right.
0: And this right. was the thing, yeah, or that you like you might you might like have a mutual right like bond with somebody. You know, this right. was this was the thing that was really that was really interesting to me. It was all this stuff about like how, you know, oh you you all these uh all these women. I you know, I date women in their twenties because, you know, the most I have to do is buy them a pair of shoes. Where if, if I date a woman, an age appropriate woman, a woman in her fifties, uh, I have to fix her roof, right? It's yeah. like or, or you know, find any of the number of like professionally successful women whom you know must be, <laughs> right? Like who you must know in spades, moving in the uh, economic circles that you move in as a successful entertainer, writer, and uh, you know producer, like that, right? Like the the these aren't you know I don't know. There's like there's a sort of oh, he,
1: uh, that ship has sailed, man. He is he is a broken man with regards to having an equal relationship with a woman.
0: <laughs> Well, no, yeah, that's that's true. I I mean, he says something he says something interesting and it is like it is sort of a a kind of a crappy low blow about trans people. But he says, uh, I am rich, but I identify as poor in in this. And that's like to me that that does that does get at to me a certain self self self-awareness right like in in his thing he's uh in his his whole shtick right like he he understands that his psychology has not is at odds with reality you know right like he understands that like his um self-conception has not caught up to the the reality situation that he finds himself in
1: so okay so this was the other one of the lines that was really interesting this line of I'm rich, but I identify as poor because, again, it reads as him being flippantly cruel to trans people for no reason. Um, But the sentiment that's in it relates to this idea from before of Lululemon selling $100 yoga pants. They hate someone, right? And of course, we know everyone hates Chris, name of his TV show. And when he says that he identifies as poor, I think when we look at the rest of the sets, there are really meaningful ways in which this is a real thing for him, right, that he's aware of it. Uh, but also, I think he's not entirely willing to give up on his generational trauma, in part because he doesn't think the problem associated with it is over. And a lot of that is what starts building this momentum towards the Will Smith situation, right? Like well, As in like uh, – Yeah, Will Chris Rock isn't safe. He gets slapped in public, and everybody cheers for it or whatever, right? Like, like Will Smith. uh, Chris Rock isn't that safe. If Will Smith can come after him, and he can't. More than that, he can't feel that safe. He can never feel that safe. But I guess the more important direction, more interesting direction to take that in is with his daughter. But just just tip through it. Like one is show your ass. Two is be infamous. And the transition for the Venn diagram is the Kardashians both show their ass and are infamous. Mm, right. Mm-hmm. And then there, and in particular, he goes into OJ Simpson, which of course, uh, is a, is a cultural touchstone for men of a certain age. Uh, and, uh, and particularly of, of black men it has a different sort of cultural touchstone than for everybody else, uh, for obvious reasons. And, um, and when he talks about, you know, Hey, uh, and the third thing is excellence. And the, 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 uh, The poster, the sort of uh, muse of excellence is Serena Williams, right? This be so good that they have to pay you attention, right? Just be that good. Um, And it's funny because he says that like O.J. Simpson, uh, because he was able to kill two white people, get away with it, was was practicing black excellence. Um, which is which is really more of a transition in the structure of the show and kind of uh, kind of building up that Venn diagram than I think really a serious takedown of Serena Williams. Right. <laughs> but like obviously each of these lines is in themselves like deeply problematic. right? Like And uh, but but there's a there's a syllogism or there's a structure that's being built here, too, um, that is around these sort of this sort of. Really the problematic, because there's an actual there's a French problematic in this set that is different from the American problematic in the set. Right. Like like being like, what are these circumstances that inform the baseline on the terms of which this thing is being adjudicated? Right. Like, am I getting that right in terms of like what the problematic would be for this?
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, what is yeah. Kind of what is your angle of attack on this? Like, what is yeah. the dynamic that you're going to That, you know, what is the kind of the the relevant dynamic that you're setting up for your analysis?
1: Yeah. And then the third piece is you could be excellent. And and this is what he talks about his daughter. Now, again, he doesn't outline the different parts of the show as associating with this outline that he gives at the beginning of the show. But I'm pretty convinced that it's in order for that reason. Sure. Like he's he doesn't like he's not pinning it to you. He wants you to be able to appreciate the show as just a series of jokes and not like remind you that you're watching a lecture. But you are right? like. Uh, and so the third part is about his relationship with his daughter and particularly the gap that exists Between him and his daughter, because he was raised poor and his daughters raised rich. Mm. And and it is not what you would expect it to be. Right. Because he is so proud of her, while at the same time so scared for her and so unsafe, but also projecting his own fears onto her. But also, is he really wrong? So like I mean, do you want to talk about that weird decision that he makes, which is so weird? Like the fact that he does this in this show is so weird. Well, with I don't know to his daughter.
0: Oh um, yeah, I don't know how. I don't know what how true this is. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't know how true any of this is. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it is it, it it is. He does make a choice to play himself in a in this particular in this particular way. Um, the you know, Pete Stewart Lee says. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Stuart Lee says "Uh, there are all kinds of things I can't do in my comedy because they're not the sort of things that the the character of Stuart Lee would do. Yeah, and then he pauses and he says, "I hate the character of Stuart Lee." and and, uh i feel i i feel like there might be a similar relationship well i mean everyone hates chris everyone hates the chris the chris rock persona so he he like tells a story about his daughter getting in trouble at school on a school trip and like there's a lot of bougie detail about around his like daughter is is going to uh his daughter is going on like a fancy international trip whereas like he went on a like a bus to to disneyland or something like that i you know but there's a lot of but the the detail is is not relevant to the main point which is that like his daughter got in trouble um all of the other parents at his fancy school got a bunch of kids got in trouble his daughter one of them all the other parents at the fancy school got lawyers to like sue the the school to get their kid out of trouble you know because their their kids like went out drinking on a school trip and chris rock went to the the principal and said no you have to expel my daughter you have to kick her out of the school because she needs to learn a lesson you know and uh and and then he says uh the the, the part that that he says it's a, it makes it seem like a slight hedge it's like she got kicked out they all got kicked out but she got kicked out first you know and that's uh and and now you know and I never told anyone that I want to do it and the first time that my daughter's going to hear about it my wife is going to hear about it and my the the lawyer we hired is going to hear about it first time they're going to hear about it is that they heard it on Netflix now if that's true that's like that's phenomenally crappy um, oh, yeah. but uh, but yeah that's uh you know. Uh, But he was like but then then he goes on about like, oh, this is how now she's an interesting an interesting young woman. Um, You know, she learned her lesson. She had to, like, apply to a different private school and, like, write essays about what happened and what she learned from it and how it's never going to happen again. Then she went to college and, like, wrote essays about how she learned and how she never went and happened again. Now, this whole thing, this whole thing, Pete, if you recall, started with kind of an elaborate contrast between – Uh, Chris Rock growing growing up poor and his daughter growing up wealthy um, with with a a lot of a lot of resources and not a lot of consequences. And um, and so, uh, you know, this whole scheme that he did was uh, to get, you know, to to get her in touch with reality. Right. Like to get her in touch with. Uh, accountability and accepting the consequences of of your actions and the, uh, you know, just really getting her feet on the ground and understanding how real people live. And uh, he says it was successful in doing that. It was successful because she had to take accountability, take responsibility. She had to write these essays. And now she uh, has gotten in touch. She's she's a a much higher character person. She's gotten in touch with how how real people live. (laughs) Now she goes to culinary school in Paris. I'm like, but wait, that's not presented as a joke. I'm making a joke about it now. It's not presented as a joke. It's presented as like, you know, she like you know, she gets her, she got the, she got this all by herself. And it's like, no, she lives in an apartment, you know, in the Marais or something that you pay for, you know, yeah. like that's, that's like, it's not a, the, the, the lesson is not been learned. I don't think the moral of this story is what you think it is.
1: Oh, I don't think it is either. I think it's something completely different. I think that, cause the thing that sticks out to me, and this is also where I get into like, am I doing kind of a Blakeian reading of Chris rock mm. where I am like, I'm interpreting it the way I want to see it. Or the way it resonates with me or the way that I the way I think his psychology is working independently of what he tells me. But of course, he's performing a character and we don't know how much of any of this is true. So any sort of interpretation is sort of less uh, dubious than it might otherwise be, um, you know, if this were something that we're being presented with, you know, without without question, uh, without a sort of lack of confidence in it. Um, The thing that really gets him is when his daughter is on the lawn because the one one detail you left out is all the other girls were white who got in trouble and she's the only mm-hmm. black girl who got in trouble
0: sorry yeah and, i mean she it makes it he makes it sound like it's it's probably an exaggeration but like he makes it sound like it's an entirely white school and his girl is the one black student yeah, at the yeah, at the school yeah. at least that's how he characterizes it,
1: it. reminds me you did because of course everything we talk about with regards to stand-up has to go through stuart lee because he's absolutely your favorite stand-up by a huge margin he's also pretty good he's really good um and uh but you i think at one point you did point out me, something Stuart Lee said about how jokes are constructed as exaggerations,
0: right? It's, there are two uh, things. You watch yeah. that. You watch that. Yeah. It was the special I made you watch, yeah. right? Like, yeah. there are two things. I'm going to ruin it all for you now. For Stuart, stand-up comedy is two things. One, you exaggerate a perceived truth for comic effect, or you take a contrary position in an exaggerated fashion for comic effect, and that is all of stand-up comedy. Yeah.
1: So, so a lot of this is exaggeration. Like, Chris Rock is exaggerating almost everything in this, uh, right. in, in this set, And so if you then start linking the moments together of he encounters his daughter laughing with the white girls, assuring him that nothing bad is going to happen to her. And this connects also to me with that line in the beginning of Lululemon selling $100 yoga pants. They hate somebody. Right. Which is also connecting onward with these different ideas, uh, which then goes all the way to the end. Of course, the last part is um, is be be a victim. And again, he doesn't talk about, for the most part, people who are actually really down on their luck.
0: No, right. and he like, and he is kind of at pains to say, you know, he is kind of at pains to say, like, you know, look, I have a lot of respect for trans people. He actually says, I mean, the yeah. what he says about after making hay about like having a lot of innuendo trans jokes, like it's he says, I actually respect the Kardashians for how quickly they accepted Caitlyn Jenner. You know, like that's yeah. uh, that's what he says, and he like sort of contrasts his position with his more conservative brother, you know, or something like yeah. if you know if if our dad transitioned, um, I mean. He says, if our dad became a woman, which is not the most uh, you know, <laughs> really well, not really the most
1: sixty-year-old way of saying that. Yeah, yeah
0: exactly. exactly. <laughs> but like, uh, but he's saying if if his transition, I would accept it. I'm an artist. I'm a you know, I'm in entertainment. Like my brothers drive trucks, right? Like, yeah. and that's like. Uh, and then he go, you know, does the thing about about uh, where it does an elaborate act out of his brother, you know, objecting to uh, to his hypothe his father's hypothetical his hypothetical transition, right? And when he when he talks about like people playing the victim, he talks about uh now there are all kinds of people who you know have uh you know, all kinds of people who have real problems and that's not who i'm talking about here i'm talking about the people on instagram i'm talking about megan markle and yeah. then he launches into this like you know, long thing about this long thing about Meghan Markle, you know, um, I, I'm
1: laughing just cause it's like, really Meghan Markle. That's the person you really need to take. down. It was a, a, it was
0: a year ago. It was a year yeah. ago. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that's the, or half a year ago, right? Yeah. It was a different, it was different March. time. It was March. It was a different time. It was the spring. Yeah. It
1: was, you know, before but, Guardians of the Galaxy three came out, not cla- that far before when it came out, before
0: it came out, <laughs> we were on, we were on daylight saving time. It was yeah. a whole, di- literally a different time. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) um but that's you know that like he he does seem to be at pains but like at the same you know he kind of wants to have his cake and eat it like that you know at the same time as you want to like kind of make these make these protestations of like you know i'm not talking about people suffering i'm not trying to mock the afflicted i'm not trying to like make light of uh of you know people who are really suffering Uh, and yet, you know, something is something, something, something trans people, but the, I identify as poor, but the, um, I'm sorry, you're talking, you're talking about him seeing his daughter standing on the uh you know standing on the lawn uh, laughing with her friends understand like and she has internalized the white attitude the the rich white attitude that nothing bad is going to happen to you right like you can kind of wiggle out and this is i think enraging to him and this is the thing that like pushes him to do the uh you know to do the kind of like behind her back getting her kicked out of school or like ensuring that there will not be forgiveness uh for this now you know i don't you know this is where like i i don't know what the no one knows what the reality is, but this is how he presents it. This is how he tells the story. And like the thing, you know, the thing that, that he's learned is that, or the thing that she's learned is that, you know, the, there, the world will do, you know, cruel things to you, right? The Mm. world will do cruel things to you, but that the world will do cruel (laughs) things to you. But that's the, uh, he repeats himself a lot the second time slower, but the, the, um, you know, the, uh, the assumption that you make as a child that the, is that like, you know, in a perfect world, like in the ideal scenario, the people doing cruel things to you are not your actual parents. Well, yeah. Right. Like that, like the world can be like the world can, can, uh, you know, give you the hard knocks, but like your, your actual parents should protect you from that to, to, to some, to some extent, like out there in the world, men are going to treat you badly. And in order to teach you that I am going to treat you, You badly. You know, and that's you know, it is an interesting this this is the real story, I think, of not the uh of the of this particular bit. And that is that is uh really, really uh it's it's a bizarre it's a bizarre story to tell with so much obvious pride, (laughs) you know, in in how you acted or how your character acted or or whatever
1: exactly and so and then when he moves on to talking about meghan markle he and he says like oh she's complaining he's not saying oh she's complaining about all these things and she's rich or she's complaining about all these things and she's a princess right he's saying she's complaining about all these things all these attitudes that the royal family has and she says and he is the joke is regular working class black people have internalized the same attitudes that the royal family has And they have done so because the royal family invented colonialism and imperialism (laughs) and kind of set up the structure by which everybody in the world understands and appreciates these things, right? Like, and, And he gives you the dichotomy of like Steph Curry and Draymond Green, how like the black family wants to know how dark the kid is. Because due to the structural inequalities and prejudices of the world, the lighter-skinned kid is going to have a better time than the darker-skinned kid. And they're just curious about how the story ends, right? And so, like, he doesn't – it's funny because it's not like he doesn't blame the Queen of England because he does make horrible historical accusations of, like – cruelty, genocide, and oppression at her, like in this set, which by the way, I didn't see anybody giving props for that level of wokeness, right? And the value, it's all like, uh, no one's stuck around for the anti-colonialism. They all left with the Lululemon false equivalency, right? They're like, I'm done with this. Um, but no, but this idea that like, uh, the problem with Meghan Markle is that, is that by her, the problem with her playing victim, or the, sorry, the critique of Meghan Markle gaining attention by playing victim is that she is, using it to gain attention um, in in a way that like other people are also doing it and doesn't get attention. Mm. It's it's not about the unfairness or fairness of what Meghan Markle has encountered. It's about the mechanisms by which the attention gets getting distributed is different from the reality as which it is operating. Mm. Um, Like there's a sort of level on which every that like that there's a problem with this sort of attention culture because it's obscuring a reality. Uh, and, and that, and that I, as the clown, am going to tell you what the reality is and the reality ends with Will Smith, um, with this, who who combines all of the critiques, right? All of the critiques of all of the other people all pile on Will Smith. He is, he is like, he is showing his ass, right? Like, because right, his sure. sexual life is out there in public, right? Like, and mm-hmm. it's also a bash on Jada. It's a big jet bash on, on Jada as well. That, like, their sexual life is in public in a horribly humiliating way that, right. of course, makes everybody want to watch. Which, in turn, full, further fleshes out this whole – it maybe even thickens the uh, discussion around, like, what it means <laughs> to show your ass. Like, to be beautiful, to, like, you know mm. – sleep around with your fans to like post pictures of yourself on Instagram, right. right? Like all of these different things are things that people would look at. Right. And, yeah. uh, and that, uh, that yeah. And so like, so Will Smith, yeah, exactly. Uh, so like, uh, <laughs> so Will Smith is showing his ass in that respect. Will Smith is, uh, infamous at right. this point. Right. Um, uh, he's a bully, Will you know, he's Will done S- this horrible thing. Yep.
0: Right. He's in right. Exactly. Like everybody knows, everybody knows this is like a big thing. Like you heard, I mean the, the transition to this, he, he makes the Beyonce Jay-Z joke. If Beyonce worked at Burger King, she could still marry Jay-Z. If Jay-Z worked at Burger King, he couldn't marry Beyonce, but uh, I don't, I'm, it's not a knock on Jay-Z. I don't need another rapper at me mad at me. Speaking of Will Smith. Right. Yeah. And that's the, that's the transition. And it's like, everybody's heard. Everybody's heard. You know, everybody knows. And so, yes, it's infamous, right? Like he's like, uh, how, how out there and and um yeah and it also like it goes to a legal definition of infamous which is not just like not not just well known for being ba- uh, bad but it's like the bad the bad conduct is publicized right like you can you can do something bad or you can do something bad infamously and there is like some kind of legal distinction that may you know that makes um uh or notorious sorry i'm thinking i'm thinking of of notorious sorry that's a it's a different it's a different word but like you know there's there's like there's your problems but the fact that that they're in the world will smith is excellent right and he goes through this long thing of uh i rooted for will smith i've been rooting for him his whole career i loved him him and tj Jazzy jeff like this the music that they released his um his songs, his uh, his movies, all the the great films that he's done. I uh, he played Muhammad Ali. He's talking about the physical, like drawing a physical contrast between him and Will Smith. Like he he plays Muhammad Ali, uh, and I'm and I played Pootie in um, I played uh, sorry Pookie. I'm thinking Pootie Tang. Uh, I played a, a piece of corn in Pootie Tang. No, I played Pookie in in New Jack City. And I was thinking, Pete, I was thinking about the Blakean, uh reading. Of uh, of Will uh, of uh, Chris Rock and I was thinking Pookie Pookie burning bright in the New Jack City (laughs) night. You know what what uh, what unfortunate addict's twitch could turn a thug into a snitch? Um, That's the. (laughs) Good shot. What the hand dare
1: save these peoples? What the Mario Van peoples?
0: (laughs) In what furnace was uh, that? So that's the, the crack. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> what the? Right, exactly. What and the? What the yayo? Uh, what the smack? Yeah. What the? Exactly. What the whale? What the smack? Uh, what the? What the baby with the back? The uh, the whole. Um, the whole The whole blake reading is is sublime yeah. uh but that's so he's he's excellent and then finally he's a victim you know like yeah. he's he's sort of but victimi but he's he's a victim um because he goes on this long he goes on this long thing now here's a here's a bit of a digression one of my favorite i most uh comedy central roasts. Uh, are terrible are are oh, yeah. horrible and if you watch them you feel more horrible about humanity about yourself <laughs> you feel like you need to take a shower like they're bad and if you like them uh uh you are bad even if you can like admire some of the craft of some of the, the if they accidentally get someone good um on on that actually uh nikki glazer saying um to bruce willis bruce i've never watched one of your films consensually Uh, actually like that, that's a, that's a pretty good, uh, uh, encapsulation, but, but, uh, I'm, I want to go back to, uh, to the roast of, um, of Bob Saget. The Comedy Central mm-hmm. roast of Bob Bob Saget. The Comedy Central roast is important because what they did at the Friars Club back in the day is uh, is not relevant to this discussion, right? And Gilbert Gottfried is roasting Bob Saget and he says
1: Not usually the segment at that roast that gets talked about. But anyway,
0: <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah. Uh no, the Norm Macdonald bit is better. Is a bit, is better comedy. <laughs> but the um but the Gilbert Gottfried piece I like a lot because I actually think it Gilbert Gottfried cottoned on to something about our discourse uh He says, uh, "Gilbert Gottfried. I'm uh, sorry. I apologize for attempting the voice." Uh, He says, "Now I know a lot of people are saying that Bob Saget raped and killed a girl in 1978, and it's not true. It's not true that." Bob Saget raped and killed a girl in 1978. So if you hear these rumors that Bob Saget, goes on, don't tell, don't repeat it that Bob Saget, you know, and he it's it's about context collapse. And it's about, you know, like uh, um, kind of the repetition of hearing things a, cer- a certain number of times. It's it's uh, and it's pretty good. I mean, it's a it was a uh, pretty funny, pretty funny bit. Um, and I kept thinking ab- about that with, uh, like, um, he, it, with Will Smith talking about, uh, with uh, Chris Rock talking about Will Smith being a victim, you know, because he goes on this long rant about all the people who called him a bitch, right? Yeah. Uh, Charlemagne called him a bitch. The, uh, what is the, what is the, the show? The breakfast club called him a bitch. And that, and all these people, all these people, right? Like, uh, but, but he hit me. The guy he knew he could beat like 50 Cent called him a bitch. He didn't hit 50. Like he slapped (laughs) me. Uh, and that's so Will Smith is a victim because it's a call them a bitch, call them a bitch, call them. A, and it's, I kept thinking, like Bob saget raped the <laughs> girl in 1978. Will Smith is a bitch. So everyone said, Will Smith is a bitch. And that's the, you know, that's the whole, um, that so that's, that's the fourth criterion, right? Like that's the, the, the fourth, uh, you know i don't know the fourth thing that you need to make the spell work right for the right, for right, being right. A, addicted to to attention so he's um he's oh uh what are they in reverse order he's victim he's uh he's excellent he's infamous and he shows his ass right and right. that like um th- this is this is the thing and it, it yeah it does line up with the rubric that he, he set out. I mean, he did, uh, he did like, he did, you know, he wrote a good high school five paragraph essay. Like he did tell him what you're going to tell him, tell him and then tell him what you told him.
1: Yep. And then there's the line that I've been alluding to. And maybe, maybe you don't feel as strongly as I do because they move the, the show ends with a line where he doesn't just drop the mic. He spikes the mic into the ground (laughs) when he says the line and the line, isn't a joke. That's the weirdest part of it is that the line is dead serious right? and, and also not really all that relevant to everything he was just talking about, right? And, and yet I feel like with that line in mind, it makes me go back and look at the whole set with a totally different perspective. Not totally, a slightly different perspective because he says that, you know, why didn't I hit him back? The obvious answer that we would say is, well, you're so small, you would just lose. It.
0: <laughs> yeah, you would have missed his chin. You would have like, you know what yeah. I mean? You would have like uh, fanned. You would have fanned somewhere around his pecs. Yeah. yeah. But no, he says he says, uh, no, because I had parents because I was raised. Right. And that gets a, that gets an applause line. It's
1: a wonderful Stanley Fish temporal reading, by the way. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> I, I had parents. I was raised raised to what like sort of like we're getting information it's like picture is shaping taking shape it's changing anyway sorry continue
0: continue no but i think that that's a good i i mean i think that this i think talking to his community that actually that phrase i was raised and like who raised you or who you know like i think that that's actually like a uh a salient kind of um slogan you know phrase like to to his community um and you know i don't know it's it's uh Yeah. And, and, uh, and sorry, but I, sorry, then toss back to you so that you can say the line that you've been, he says
1: that in my, my mom told me not to fight in front of white people.
0: And then he throws the 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 mic
1: on the ground. And that's the end of the show. Now, granted this show, I don't know if we mentioned this show is being performed in Baltimore in front of an overwhelmingly black audience. Yeah, Right. So like that, that is an important piece of context for a lot of what Chris Rock says. And also I think the style in which he performs uh, the idea that he's sort of like among people who are, share his perspective uh, in ways that uh, white people would not about a lot of these things, and particularly the way that he finishes it. Uh, the, the, certainly the, the feelings he has, he, I don't think that he would be as comfortable. I mean maybe he would do this, this act somewhere else and he wouldn't care. But I would not by default think it would mean the same thing for him to rant about calling Will Smith a bitch in front of a room full of white people right? Doing it in front of this room means something to him. And then when he says, because my mother taught me not to fight in front of white people, you really have to do a little bit of work to figure out what that means. Like, why, why did she tell you this? Well, you know, well, everyone, because if they're selling hundred dollar yoga pants, they hate somebody, right? Like, because, because throughout all of this, this cultural discourse because through his daughter laughing on the front lawn, right? Like through Jay Z working at the Burger King and having nobody ever love him because he's not beautiful, right? Like, because he's never given an opportunity to be excellent. He's never excellent. So he's just, he's just garbage and he has no love in his life, right? Like the context, he's he's just a Ken, he's just, a Ken. (laughs) but the context for all of this and also for this idea of like, The parent tells the the parent teaches the kid about the world by inflicting the harm upon the kid. And like this is his mom teaching him about the world by telling him not to defend himself when he's being attacked, Mm. which is so similar. And it's because of this overarching idea that you are not safe because of white people which is fair, right? Like like just entirely fair for Chris Rock to be scared. What could happen? What if his daughter was a son and was on an athletic trip? Would it have been different? Like does he, you know, like what if the kid goes to prison, you know, like or, or just gets into the system in some way, you know, like there's there's a lot of fears that he has as a black parent that I think I as a white parent, I have to assume I will not have. Right. Like they're not things I'm worried about. And this is not me preaching about it as if like, oh, you came to the overthinking podcast to learn about these things. I would assume that if you come to the overthinking podcast, this stuff is all already familiar to you because you've listened to black stand up comics or watched movies with black people in them where they talk about this, which is like all the freaking time. Which is that like the problematic is white people. They are the problematic, right? Like the problematic is the whole everything James Baldwin is articulating with the double consciousness, right? That's like we're raised in this idea of ourselves, but we live in a situation where these other people are going to inflict their idea of who we are onto us. And then we feel split in our identity between whether we are what they say we are versus what we think would feel we are or want to be. Uh, and that this is enforced with violence, uh, you know, direct and indirect, real and unreal. And the idea of that, like, wow, he really believes, I think, that if his daughter just goes through life with all these white girls laughing at the fact that they that she's not going to suffer any consequences, that she's going to be the one to suffer the consequences, not them. Right. Right. That like if at some point they're going to turn on her, that she's not safe. Right. Like um, and yet even then, it's still impressive And still awesome, especially – you talked about the raised thing. I thought it was really cool that that's connected thematically to the idea not just – it's not just important that she works at the culinary school in Paris or that she's studying at the culinary school in Paris. What's important is that the grandmother can go visit her in Paris. Right. Which in and of itself was not possible when the grandmother was younger. Right. So like the world has allowed like this to happen at the same time as this has sort of been achieved. And this should not be taken for granted. None of this should be taken for granted. Um, I think is is part of the message here, and that the ultimate selective outrage is the outrage of white people against black people for no reason, and and that this is like or like for the reasons, of course, that are articulated in the section about the royal family and Meghan Markle, right, sure. where he lays the groundwork for this whole thing, this sort of systemic. And systematic, both ways of thinking about
0: uh, the relationships between yeah, people. Yeah, it's because like my, Meghan Markle is is criticized for like oh well she's like didn't didn't you know these people were racist like couldn't you they invented yeah. colonialism like it's not just that she's trying to like make hay out of uh you know not being welcomed or being you know having to suffer a, a million little indignities it's kind of like didn't you know that these were the yeah. indignities like didn't you know that this was that this was going to happen to you and you know if you didn't like that's kind of your fault, right? Because you didn't like you didn't cotton on to white culture enough, you know. Yeah. You didn't like, and and there is a nice use like, of the
1: word cotton, by the way, man. Really
0: oh, oh dear. <laughs> Don't edit it out. We'll 800, <laughs> 801 episodes to get canceled. I've, I've actually tried. I've tried, and yeah. it hasn't happened till now, right? Like that. That like you haven't. What What he's saying is essentially is that your double consciousness is inadequate to the you know to the task to to yeah. what's what's really required. And it's really interesting when you like when you think of Will Smith and like keep your dog. I mean, there's the there's the uh, I love black people, but I hate the other thing routine. And then there's the like, keep your daughter off the pole routine, which I think like if you think of of Chris Rock, those are the two, those are the two routines and both of them engage a a particular respectability politics, you know, that that has to do with like, well, I was raised, right? Like I was, you know, like I am, you know, I am. Uh, invested in showing, you know, in like showing people how not showing si- my ass, <laughs> not showing my ass, right, right, I, yeah. in in like pulling my yoga pants up tight, my twenty dollars <laughs> yoga pants, right, because like I'll wear my twenty dollars racist racist yoga pants, and that's it's an interesting, you know, I mean, it it is totally, uh, it is an interesting thing it's an interesting thing and that like you get the sense like at the end just by how vehement he is about like i with the kind of wrapping up like i i felt like the the will smith bit was not funny right And, and i thought like if he you know um if he had wanted to, uh, you know, Dave Chappelle would have just made it. You know, but no, it oh, yeah. wasn't like the point. The point actually Where's wasn't. And Dave
1: Chappelle are very different. <laughs> they're just both black guys who are in their fifties <laughs> who do say, stand uh, up d- about d- the same topics ge- at roughly the generation. same time on the same kind of media <laughs> with a lot of the same friends, <laughs> so, toured to the same stadiums. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. But the, you so they're know, kind the, of similar in a lot of ways. <laughs>
0: sorry. Go ahead. And the uh, and also the. Um, Oh, sorry, I was trying to leave you room to to, to move in, but oh. but that like there was a uh, there was a good you know there was an opportunity to do like you could have built a lot of zingers right like you you could have you could have built laughs, but it didn't like it built it built a like a kind of like emotional crescendo to a white hot intensity instead yeah. you know and that's hot, um,
1: <sighs> <laughs> I'm exercising selective outrage right now. <laughs>
0: Selective outrage, your phone was built by child slaves, <laughs> I can't go to work. I'm afraid of what I say when I go to work. you know
1: I can't tell jokes and overthinking it the way I used to, you know, with that buoyant sense of youth. <laughs> <laughs> it has nothing to do with the culture it's just me getting older sorry i kept interrupting you
0: but the, the um, like it it builds it's an emotional creten- a crescendo it builds an intensity to that kind of thing and you get the sense that like this is like what he's saying like because uh, my mom told me you don't fight in front of white people And he spikes the mic and you get the sense that that's like a pretty core tenet of like his worldview and belief system. And that's, uh, you know, and that's like and that's an interesting I mean, that's an interesting thing because like that's actually rule zero, you know, like don't show your ass. Don't be infamous. Don't be a victim. uh, You know, like those those things are, um, well be excellent. Yeah. Be excellent <laughs> to each other. Party on dudes. But the, uh, you know, like that, that those things, like, don't, don't do those things. But all, what he's saying is like, don't fight in front of wh- white people. Meghan Markle don't fight in front of white people, right? Like my, uh, my daughter don't fight in front of white people, you know, like all, all of this, uh, all of this stuff is kind of, uh, kind of goes, uh it gets it gets wrapped up it gets wrapped up in that, and I think that actually it's it's sort of more important for him to say that that than it is to kind of be funny in that uh in that moment, you know, um like Hannah Gatsby, he has something really urgent on his soul that he, <laughs> that he that he needs to get out, you know
1: yeah and it, and of course it, this does raise the question of like you know why. And I just would want to say, like well, because it's humiliating and because that humiliation is something that is affected if it affects not just you but other black people, right and it sort of makes things worse for everybody and it demeans you and it reduces your status and it reduces any sort of protection you may have from like social norms, right? like it's I think that there's a sense that it's just a risk you know to to and it's also it's a, and it's an indignity, it's in a shared indignity. It's the idea that Will Smith kind of brought them to this indignity, not just him. But everyone in the room was kind of humiliated. I think that's part of this. Thinking about it, I think that's part of the subtext there is, I mean, not even the subtext, but like I was raised. It's also like everyone here in the room knows that we were all mutually humiliated by the fact that this happened. And I, and my ultimate defense of myself is that it could have been worse if I had been even a, just a tiny bit more desirous of attention than I am, which is a whole lot. Right? Like, <laughs> which is a whole lot. Like, I had this one moment where I made this sort of conservative call to not do the sort of maximum attention seeking behavior. Uh, and, uh, and I did it, you know, sort of for all of us. Um, and again, I'm not I don't want to I don't want to embrace here the idea that anybody listening to this podcast has like personally offended Chris Rock in some way. Let's not say that his, you know, experience growing up in the early 70s in uh, working class neighborhoods of Brooklyn is something that is uh, you personally are responsible for. So don't don't sweat it. <laughs> All the people are going to get in the comments about this. Don't sweat it. It's not about you. It's about Chris Rock <laughs> like, and about his experience, which is which is what it is. Um, I hate to say that. Uh, that it, things are what they are, but yeah, like it's certainly it's a generational thing, um, to an extent. But I thought I thought in that context, then the whole set, especially in the context, like you said, of that ending part not being a joke. Yeah, you know, it, it's an hour long set that's a stand up set ostensibly, where the closer isn't funny, and the ending isn't a joke. And I mean, again, yeah, you know, Hannah, but it, Hannah Gatsby is much more like. Everybody watching that knows that that's what you're in for. I don't think people watching this would necessarily expect that this is the kind of thing that you're watching. You know, you're watching this person kind of really put himself out there as as, as pretty bad in a lot of ways, and not really asking for your approval, and just sort of laying out you know his own uh, reasoning and his own kind of emotions, uh, at least as he performs them for like what motivated everything that he did. Um, it just, it structurally, even though the set itself is pretty ugly, um, especially at times, structurally, there was a beauty to it that I wanted to talk about and share Um, that there was, there was a poetry to it, although it's kind of a bummer of a poetry. Uh, and I, and I should say, I cited James Baldwin, Should also cite WB Du Bois, right? Obviously a lot of interaction. Please don't get, if you have particular writers that you think wrote particularly interesting things about double consciousness and related ideas, please get in the comments or whatever. Come to our discord, talk to me about it. Uh, we'll have a reading club. Uh, uh, it'll just be Chris rock routines about how he hates women that he meets on the internet, which is <laughs> like the other side of this whole thing.
0: No, no, no. Um, okay. Yeah. let's. I, I think thought it, it was good. It was, I think it might be, I think it might be time to, uh, to leave it there, you know, like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. I think we're, we're pretty much done. I mean, he's going to, he'll come up with something else. I'm curious what he comes up with next when he's 60 uh, and he's real mad. <laughs> because why should not old men be mad, Matt? Right. Um. You know? Yeah, absolutely.
0: (laughs) Um, The the whole, uh, well, the the whole thing was interesting. Thanks, Pete, for podcasting. Thanks, everybody. For uh, for listening, we're, if we leave our conversation there, we can continue it on the Discord. That's you know, no one no one really comments anymore, though. It's nice to see the few that that do come in. It always warms my heart. Uh, but uh, we'll be back next week with more Overthinking It podcasts. Until then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com dot where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve.
1: Why do you think Chris Rock never gets brought up in the conversations with the other Hollywood Chris's?
0: What Evans and yeah, like Chris uh,
1: Evans, Chris, Chris Pratt. Pratt, you know, Chris Pine. Sure. You know, Christy yeah. Alley. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Chris Rock. Get in that Marvel Cinematic Universe, man. They need all the help they could get.